Hello, and welcome to the Sustainalytics podcast. My name is Melissa Chase, and I'm a marketing specialist here at Sustainalytics. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, I'll be chatting with Martin Vezer, Manager on Sustainalytics Thematic Research Team, and Oshimimi Miyaki, Associate Product Manager for our country risk ratings. We'll be chatting about our new ESG Spotlight report, New Frontiers, African Sovereign Debt, and ESG risk, which looks at the ESG risk and credit risk of African countries and what these combined signals could mean for investors. Martin and Oshimimi, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for having us. You can call me Mimi. Okay. Thanks, Mimi. So a big story in the news this month has been Moody's cutting of its outlook for South Africa. More generally, investors have been concerned about growing sovereign debt in the region. Uh, Mimi, can you tell us a little bit more about the situation? Sure. Um, Let me set the stage a little bit. Investors' perspective on the region from, say, 2014 was quite optimistic. African countries in general were growing at a very high rate. There's an unprecedented rise in foreign direct investment flows. There was a sense that um, the the continent was doing really well and would continue to grow. And this was evident across asset classes. But since then, there was the 2015 commodity price shocks and foreign direct investment inflows have been in decline. Equity capital market activity has also declined, but we've also, we've seen an increase in debt issuances, particularly issuances of euro bonds to international markets and green bonds. Now, there are two drivers for this. There are growth needs, such as the infrastructure gap that needs to be filled. Um, also, climate change has been a big priority for many African countries. For example, water management in South Africa, meeting renewable energy goals in other countries, and just in general, meeting the needs of a population where there is still a high precedence of poverty. Um, So certainly some of this financing has been required to meet these needs. However, some countries have also had challenges financing their budgets and more short to medium term needs. And they've been turning to international markets to fill this gap particularly for those countries such as South Africa and Nigeria and Angola that were hit hard by the commodity price shocks and are looking to fill that gap in their budget. Another interesting trend is that, we're, that we're seeing is that the demand for these issues on the international market has been very strong. South Africa's $5 billion issue in September was almost three times oversubscribed. Ghana's $6 million issue earlier this year was more than six times oversubscribed. So there's been a lot of demand. And certainly the low interest environment since the financial crisis has a lot to do with it. Emerging market bonds are offering higher yields compared to developed markets. So we're seeing a lot of interest from international investors in these African bonds. So these two factors, the demand and supply side, are contributing to the higher debt we're seeing from African countries. And understandably, that trend is coming up as a concern for some investors as to whether or not this is sustainable, whether countries can manage this level of debt. Right. And and some of these concerns around sustainability are also, there's the backdrop of lower growth rates overall. So um, some of the, the largest markets, Angola, Nigeria, and South Africa are not performing as well as they were prior to the commodity price crash. Um, and the World Bank has cut its projections for these countries in the past year. So we're seeing slower activity for some countries um, on the economic growth side, and then we're seeing an increase in debt accumulation in the continent. So these 
two trends are leading investors to be a bit more concerned. Right. Okay. So Martin, for this report, can you tell us why you've decided to compare the traditional credit ratings for African nations to their ESG ratings? Well, traditional sovereign credit ratings are a natural starting point for many investors who are looking to engage a borrower's credit worthiness. Uh, Credit ratings provide a view of perceived risk in the market. So we um, we wanted to kind of build on the natural starting point for a lot of investors. Um, we've seen growing interest among our clients and investors more broadly in the market in integrating environmental, social, and governance factors or ESG factors into their credit assessments. Um, one indication of the growing interest is the uptick in the number of signatories, both in terms of investors and credit rating agencies or CRAs, um, to the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment Statement on ESG in Credit Risk and Ratings. Um, so here at Sustainalytics, we've been developing ways to uh, supplement conventional credit ratings with ESG ratings. Uh, Back in 2017, we published a report called Game of Bonds that proposed a new way of reassessing credit ratings with ESG analysis. And in this most recent publication, we decided to leverage our new country risk ratings product to better understand the relationship between country risk ratings and uh, from an ESG risk perspective and conventional credit ratings. Uh, And we focused here on Africa. As uh, Mimi mentioned, there are lots of reasons uh, for investors to be interested in this region today. That sounds intriguing. So can you walk us through what you found when you compared ESG risk and credit ratings? From the outset, we wanted to know the relationship between ESG risk and credit rating um, from a correlation standpoint. So we ran a correlation on a data set that covers 132 countries. So these are 132 countries for which we have credit ratings coming from at least one of the three big credit rating agencies. These are uh, Moody's, Finch, and S&P. So we take the average credit rating from these three as one data point, and then we take the country risk rating for that country coming from uh, our own research here at Sustainalytics. And when we run the correlation analysis on 132 countries, we find a strong positive correlation between these two variables, uh, the country credit ratings and country ESG risk rating. The coefficient is 0.83, which is strong. Um, And this finding suggests that countries with stronger credit ratings face lower levels of ESG risk and vice versa, that countries with lower ESG risk tend to be rated as more credit worthy. But we also noted interesting cases where there's some kind of uh, divergence between credit rating scores and country ESG risk rating. Uh, So for example, with the case of uh, Cape Verde and Ethiopia, we find that both of these countries receive an average CRA grade that's equivalent to a B rating in S&P terminology. Uh, But there's a 10-point spread in their ESG risk score with uh, Cape Verde being rated as medium ESG risk country in our model and Ethiopia at high ESG risk. So this gap is largely due to the relative strength of Cape Verde's per capita wealth stock 
which is an important input in our model, and its political stability, which is something that we measure under our basket of institutional capital metrics. Mm -hmm. You also took a closer look at the seven African nations that accounted for most of the initial sales in African bonds in 2019. So those countries were Egypt, Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Ghana, Lesotho, and uh, the Ivory Coast. Um, So Mimi, what can you tell us about the ESG risk scores for these countries in particular? Sure. Um, So in our rating, the range is from negligible risk to severe risk. Um, And of the African countries, the highest rated country is medium risk. And um, this goes up all the way to severe risk. But in the sample of countries... South Africa and Ghana are rated as medium risk and the rest of the countries are high risk in our model. Primarily, these scores are driven by two factors, institutional capital as well as the wealth. Um, Wealth is important here because countries that have a higher wealth stock are better able to manage ESG risks should they materialize. Um, So in some ways, this acts as a proxy in our model for resilience. Um, but another very important factor is institutional capital. And now institutional capital is are these intangible factors such as um, how effective the government is, the level of political rights that people have, the stability in the political landscape, um, the effectiveness of the legal system and um, rule, rule of law in the country. These are things that have an impact across all ESG issues and affect how well a particularly for sovereigns, and affect how well a country manages all issues from healthcare to energy governance or its energy transition. Um, so we, in, in our model, we weight institutional capital quite highly because it has such a huge impact. And this is something that has been confirmed in other studies, the importance of institutional capital or governance factors um, in credit risk assessment. So in our study, we found that there is quite a significant variation amongst these countries on the performance of various institutional capital factors. Um, Particularly, there is a lot of variation in political stability, civil liberties, and level of peace. And this offers some some insight for investors when you're looking at these countries in, in in terms of how to differentiate amongst them. Just to give you a concrete example of what's going on in the seven countries and something that kind of differentiates the medium risk countries from the higher risk countries in our ESG risk rating, um, both South Africa and Ghana are countries that have historically been quite strong in terms of their political system. They're both strong democracies. Um, South Africa in particular is strong in terms of civil liberties, such as freedom of assembly for its, for its citizens and respecting various human rights. However, there have been issues in the level of peace in the country due to a number of civil conflicts. A more recent example are the xenophobic attacks on migrants caused in part by economic issues in the country, Um, but that has certainly had material economic effects. For some of the higher risk countries, these countries in general have had numerous events on the political front. Um, Most most recently in Egypt, there have been reports of alleged suppression of 
the opposition party in the 2018 election. Nigeria is another example. There has been ongoing conflict in the northeastern region with Boko Haram, as well as some reports of election violence in the presidential and the governorship elections. So these kinds of issues present risk for investors in terms of how a country can manage its accumulation of wealth, how a country can manage the governance of its resources, and in, in some cases, also just the trustworthiness in the government of its citizens and investors. So these sorts of issues account for the differences amongst countries in our rating. Mm-hmm. And so, Martin, what does this mean for fixed income investors interested in, in those particular countries or in other nations on the continent? Yeah. So in terms of these seven countries that we really zoom in on, these issues that uh, Mimi just mentioned are ones that have a material effect on the ability of countries to potentially pay back their loans. So we think that there are issues that investors may want to prioritize in their monitoring of countries that they have invested in, um, particularly with regard to sovereign debt. So on you know, one level, it's, we highlight key issues these political issues related to institutional capital that we will continue monitoring and we anticipate that investors will also uh, prioritize in their monitoring and investment activities. But more broadly, the approach that we develop in assessing institutional capital as well as natural and produced capital and human capital, which are other dimensions in our model, um, we feel that these key issues and the uh, framework that we present in the paper can help investors have a more holistic view of the particular countries that they're interested in uh, investing in from a a sovereign debt perspective. Um, And it can help in terms of drawing comparisons between different countries. Investors can incorporate this type of analysis into addressing questions of credit risk in terms of the potential yields that their bonds may be producing. Um, They can assess whether countries uh, are potentially overvalued or undervalued by credit rating agencies, uh, and they can develop portfolio strategies that would potentially exclude or overweight or underweight countries depending on these key ESG risk factors. Great. Well, it certainly sounds like country ESG risk analysis offers investors another great tool to support their fixed income investment decision making. Thanks for sharing those insights. For more details on our analysis, please read New Frontiers, African Sovereign Debt and ESG Risks, available for download now from our website. And for more information on our country risk ratings product, please visit our website at www.sustainalytics.com. Thank you again, Martin and Mimi, for sharing your insights, and thank you all for listening. Thanks, Melissa and Mimi, and everyone for joining.